Thanks for coming. We are so glad that you're here today. This is um, a little bit different than what we normally do. We haven't started off our years together. We haven't started Wellspring and Build Off together. We usually end together with this very lesson that we'll talk about today. But um, instead, what we thought we would do is um, put this at the front of the year, talk to you about what Grace Bible Church is about and how Build and Wellspring fit into what Grace Bible Church is about and let that start the year rather than point it out at the end of the year. So um, thank you for being here today. Thank you for making your way past um, terrible accidents on the freeway. Um, the one on I-10 just happened at 5.30 this morning when I, as I was coming by, and um, I don't know, that looks really bad. So um, anyway, thank you for getting here. So glad that you're here. If The way that it works, um, there's food over there, and you probably in drink, and you, and you probably already have some, but at some point you're going to be thinking that you want some more. Feel free to just get up and make your way across. Don't worry about like, I'm doing right now. like what Scott's doing. Just follow elder leadership there. Do whatever you need and uh, make yourself at home. Uh, for those of you who may not know, the restrooms are right out this um, hallway here on your right. Um, we're going to spend uh, most of our time together here at the beginning, and then we're going to split up. Ladies, because the men actually this year have more guys in build than you have in ladies in Wellspring, you're going to get to go to the library, and you'll be at the library for the rest of the year. And it's actually really nice down there. So uh, guys will stay here today. But let's do this. Let's pray, and then we'll uh, just jump right in, okay? Heavenly Father, thank you for the chance to be together. And Lord, I just want to pray again for any of those families, um, the families involved with any of those accidents, Lord, that um, life perhaps changed dramatically today for them. And I pray, Lord, that they would know you, that their eyes would be set upon you, that perhaps maybe for the first time you might use something like this to point them to you, that you would bring people into their lives who know Jesus Christ, love him and love your word, and would share the good news with them. pray that you'd comfort them, and that, Lord, you would be merciful to them. Lord, we desire your mercy on us this morning as we open your word and look at it. We are in great need. We do not want to assume that simply because we're Christians and that we are awake and that your Bible is open before us that we will automatically get what we need to get out of it, that we will even worship you while your Bible is open. We do not want to assume that that will happen, Lord. We want to discipline ourselves. We want to control ourselves humble ourselves in such a way that as we interact with your word, we meet with you. So would you please draw near to us as we draw near to you? And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. You have lots of handouts and things like that to go in your notebook. Um, I found out that if you will not put those things in now, all of the snapping uh, does a really weird thing with the audio, and it makes it picks up that snapping better than it does any voice that's talking. So Maybe later you can insert everything in your notebook, um, if you don't mind doing that. Let's talk today about um, the vision and the purpose of Grace Bible Church. Um, if you look at our bulletin, or if you're on our website, you'll see that we have a basically a statement that kind of summarizes what Grace Bible Church is all about. It goes, you see it at the top of your page, it's, a, it's this, a biblical vision of God leads us to our gospel purpose in Christ. And so what I want to do is really break down those two sections for you today, what a biblical vision of God is, what, what do we mean by that at Grace Bible Church, and then talk about 
our gospel purpose in Christ. Um, so let's start first, number one, just with a biblical vision of God. Just some key things here to, to point out. Key word is God. Um, we are after God in his triune greatness. We're after God the Father. We're after God the Son. We are after God the Holy Spirit. Um, if we have uh, an interest in the Bible and come near to the Bible but miss the God of the Bible, something really, really wrong took place. And so we want to make sure that we are after God. Um, by the word vision, we mean that we want to see Him. We want to set our sights on that great God who reveals Himself in three persons. We want to set our sights on Him. We want to see Him the way the Bible sees Him. We want to see the world the way the Bible sees the world. We want to see ourselves the way the Bible sees us. We need that vision of God. And... Um, Bible or a biblical vision of God, that's key. The only way that you really see God for what he is in this age is through the word of God. Praise God that um, natural revelation, that creation does reveal something of God, but it does not reveal his grace. It does not reveal his, his mercy. When you look out on the world, I don't know if you've, if you've thought about this in this way, but when you look out on creation, we marvel at how beautiful it is. But you know that what you're looking at still is bearing the, the scars of his judgment when he flooded the world. You're looking, it's like, like this is crazy illustration, forgive me. You know when you're a parent and you've got your little ones and you have to do some correction, some discipline, and then they, you give them a little bath later and you notice that the backside still is a little red? When you look at the world, you're looking at the remainder of judgment. And so that tells you something about God, but it, there's so much that you do not see about God that you can only get from him right here. And so we want a biblical vision of God. And so that's what we're after here. So that means we're going to split it up into the three members of the Godhead, God the Father, God the Son, and God the, the Holy Spirit. So let's start first with the glory of God. By talking about the glory of God... Um, we're primarily orienting the glory in the Father, but we're not trying to say by that that the Son does not have glory because you can't get to the New Testament and, without seeing that everywhere. And we're not trying to say that the Holy Spirit is not glorious. We're just rooting it more so in the glory of God the Father. And I encourage you, at the beginning of your year, you're going to be asked in Build and Wellspring to pick a, reading, a Bible reading program or a plan and just make sure that you're reading through your Bible. I encourage you at the beginning of that, look for the word glory. As you read, circle it, highlight it, underline it, write it off in the margin. Uh, keep a journal and just every time you see glory, write down where it's at. And, and, um, and what your understanding of glory will be by the time you're done, will be, uh, it will be deepened greatly. What does the word glory mean in, Bible, in the Bible? Um, God's glory in the Bible is, is primarily in the Old Testament. It is his weightiness. It's his weightiness. It's his worth. The glory of God is his splendor. Um, another way to say it would be his overwhelmingness. It is that about God which is absolutely overwhelming and splendid. And that splendor of God, that overwhelmingness, is represented primarily through radiant light in the Bible. So God will appear in his glory, and it will talk about beaming radiant light, so beaming and so radiant that even Moses, when he is up against it, when he comes down from the mountain, he's what? 
he is glowing from it, right? Um, so it is his weightiness, it's his overwhelmingness that is expressed through brilliant, radiant light. Um, there's a sense in which when God is in the scriptures is meeting with a man or a person or uh, in, in the Bible that what he's using to communicate himself to them is his glory. John 1.18 says that no one has seen God at any time. He does not communicate himself personally in all of the fullness of who he is because man cannot handle that. Um, we are not in a condition right now that we can take on the fullness of who God is in all of his glory and, and, and survive. So what God does is he communicates himself to man through his overwhelmingness, his radiant, uh, uh, splendid light. Um, no man can see me and live, he says in Exodus 33.20. We'll look at that passage in just a moment. But what God does do is he communicates himself at different times and different places to different people in the Bible with a weighty and impressive radiant light that man was capable of soaking in. And when man did soak it in, oftentimes he fell to the ground as if a dead man. Remember? Um, Moses was dropped to his knees by the glory of God. It made him glow. The Old Testament teaching on the glory of God is, you can find it in many places, but the, uh, probably the, the densest place it is found is Exodus 33. New Testament teaching is uh, abundant with the glory of God, uh, God's glory in Jesus. John 1.14, it talks about um, Jesus' glory there in John chapter 12, verses 37 through 41. Um, John says that Isaiah, when he saw the glory of God in Isaiah 6, that he was seeing the glory of the second person of the Godhead, Jesus. Luke 9, 28-36, Jesus and two other, um, uh, or is it the three other disciples, Peter, James, and John, up on the Mount of Transfiguration, they see the radiant, splendid light of Jesus there. There's future glory for Jesus in the Matthew passages that you have listed there. Um, in Revelation 21, the glory of the New Jerusalem, the, the radiant light that is there is not from a created sun, but actually comes from God himself, who is the light of that New Jerusalem. Now, let's go ahead and turn to uh, Exodus 33. I want to I have you look at this passage with me a little more closely. <clears throat> Maybe on your own, you can back up um, later and read Exodus 32. It's very important. Exodus 33 makes all the more sense when you understand in Exodus 32, that Israel just made the golden calf and got in big trouble for it. And now God says to them, basically at the end of, at the beginning of chapter 33, he says, um, in verse 3, he says, go, go up to a land flowing with milk and honey. I, however, Yahweh says, I will not go up in your midst because you are an obstinate people and I might destroy you on the way. So Yahweh just says, I, I can't go another step with you. You are done if I go with you. And so then the whole rest of Exodus 33 is about Moses meeting with God up on the mountain. And Moses pleading with God in this way. Look at, uh, look at verse 11. Thus the Lord used to speak to Moses face to face, just as a man speaks to his friend. When Moses returned to the camp, his servant Joshua, the son of Nun, a young man would not depart from the tent. Then Moses said to Yahweh, See, you say to me, bring up this people, but you yourself have not let me uh, know whom you will send with me. All he knows at this point is Yahweh is not going, I'll send an angel with you. But he hasn't told him who is going with him. Moreover, you have said, I have known you by name, Moses, and you have also found favor in my sight. 
Now therefore, I pray you, if I have found favor in your sight, let me know your ways that I may know you. you. You've told me you're not going with us, but I need to know what you're like, Moses says to God. I need to know your ways so that I know you. How do I help these people know you if, if you're not with us? Consider this too, verse 13, that this nation is your people. And so Yahweh said to him, My presence shall go with you, and I will give you rest. So God determines to go with them. He said to him, If your presence does not go with us, do not lead us up from here. For how then can it be known that I have found favor in your sight, I and your people? Is it not by your going with us, so that we, I and your people, may be distinguished from all of the other people who are upon the face of the earth? What made Israel different than all of the other nations? That verse tells us what made them different. What made them different? It was Yahweh. It was God. Israel is just like any other Canaanite nation that was there. Equally deserving to be dispelled, kicked out, and judged. But what made Israel different was God was with them. The Lord said to Moses, I will do this thing of which you have spoken. For you have found favor in my sight and I have known you by name. Then Moses said, I pray you show me your glory. Show me your weighty impressiveness. Show me everything that is overwhelming about you that is expressed through your radiant light. Verse 19, he said, I myself will make all my goodness pass before you. I like that. I'll make an attribute of mine pass by you. I'll make my goodness pass before you. And I will proclaim the name of Yahweh before you. So he got to hear a sermon as God went by him. An attribute of God went by him, and a sermon went by him. Words went by him. And I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious, and I'll show compassion on whom I will show compassion. But you cannot see my face, for no man can see me and live. Then Yahweh said, Behold, there is a place by me, and you shall stand there on the rock, and it will come about while my glory is passing by, that I will put you in the cleft of the rock and cover you with my hand until I have passed by. And then I will take my hand away and I'll let you see my back, but my face shall not be seen. Um, what God communicated to him was his glory, but not his full-on being, because Moses could not handle that. So what God cr- communicated of himself in these kinds of instances in the Old Testament and even into the New Testament somewhat, you see it, God communicating himself through his radiant, expressive glory. Now, go to a different mountain. Go to Luke chapter 9, verse 28. Luke chapter 9, verse 28. Another mountain, similar setting. Some eight days later, after these things, he took along, that's Jesus, took along Peter and John and James, and they went up on the mountain to pray. And while he was praying, the appearance of his face became different, and his clothing became white and gleaming. And behold, two men were talking with him, and they were Moses and Elijah, who, appearing in glory, were speaking of his departure, which he was about to accomplish at Jerusalem. So this is a parallel to the Old Testament passage we just looked at. You're on a mountain. Now there is impressive radiant light, but this time it's beaming from a man named Jesus of Nazareth, and Moses is there again. Except Moses is not by himself. Moses is with Elijah. So now you have the two great representatives of the Old Testament witness. 
you have the representative of the law and the prophets. So here is the representation of God's law and prophets meeting with the one who is radiant in all of his glory on a mountain and sleeping disciples. Verse 32, Peter and his companions had been overcome with sleep, but when they were fully awake, they saw his glory and two men standing with him, and the two men standing with him. And as these were leaving him, Peter said to Jesus, Master, it's good for us to be here. Let us make three tabernacles, one for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah, not realizing what he was saying. So they're starting to leave. This moment is changing. Peter wants them to stay, and so he thinks, well, I'll build them little houses, uh, shelters for them to stay in. And in doing so, he expresses that he thinks Jesus and Moses and Elijah are all on the same level. I'm going to build three of them. We're going to have all these guys stay here. This is a great moment. Indeed, it is a great moment. But he doesn't know what he's saying. Verse 34, while he was saying this, in fact, what we're about to find out is what did God think about what Peter... Peter's view of Jesus compared to Moses and Elijah. What does God think about Peter's view? Verse 34, while he was saying this, a cloud formed and began to overshadow them, and they were afraid as they entered the cloud. That's that cloud of God's glory in the Old Testament. Then a voice came out of the cloud saying, This is my son, my chosen one. Listen to him. And when the voice had spoken, Jesus was found alone and they kept silent and reported to no one in those days any of the things which they had seen. God takes his son and he says he is not on the same level as these representatives of the Old Testament, the Law and the Prophets. He is above them. He is my son. You listen to what he says. Um, So there you have the glory of God in the Old Testament the glory of God in the New Testament in the face of Jesus Christ. You can look at other passages on that. Practically speaking, so what? We're about the glory of God at Grace Bible Church. So what? What does that mean? Primarily, I think it it, it needs to represent itself this way in your life first. You need to position yourself often to drink in that glory of God in Scripture. You are not going to have a moment up on a mountain like Moses did, like Peter, James, and John did. But you can... Witness the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ through the words of this book. Bring yourself to this book and drink in the glory of God. Do you want to glorify God with your life? If you want to glorify God with your life, tell me how that desire to glorify God in your life would be impacted if your daily plan was to come to this book and soak in the glory, the weighty splendor of God in Jesus Christ here. Do that, what impact will that make on you wanting to glorify God? The best, the, the people throughout re- church history, redemptive history, the, the people who most glorified God were the people who were most concerned to drink in His glory. Be that kind of man. You tell me, do, you, do your, the people you live with need you to be that kind of man, that kind of woman? If you're a dad, you're, or a husband, your, your wife desperately needs you to be such. Your children need you to be such. If you starve yourself and do not expose yourself to the glory of God in Scripture, you're impoverishing your own soul, but you're impoverishing those around you. The glory of God is part of the biblical vision. Let's talk about the cross of Christ. Christ's death related to God's glory. I love this. If you were, if we were to go back to Exodus, um, and as you're reading through Exodus, that's about the time when you're doing the chronological read through the Bible. That's about the time when you start like losing attention. It's harder to stay there. 
But don't leave that part of the Bible. It's, it's amazing because what you see is, is the glory of God like that passage in Exodus 33. The glory of God in the Old Testament is inseparable from a substitutionary sacrifice. It's, it's inseparable from blood being shed. Get this. Here's the story of Exodus and into Leviticus. Okay. Um, Israel comes out into the wilderness and they're at a mountain. God in his glory is enveloping, swallowing up the mountain. The cloud is over the mountain. Lightning is striking. There is radiant glory. The ground is shaking. The, the mountain is dwarfed under the glory of God. And Israel is out settled in the plain next to it. And God says, don't let anybody come up and even touch this mountain. Don't even let your animals come and touch this mountain. They will die. Because God was there. Moses gets an exception and he gets to go up. And he goes up and he writes down a bunch of stuff God says. He comes back down into all of the tents of Israel and he says, guess what? So he's talking, they're all looking past him. And the glory of God is swallowing up the mountain. He says, God wants me to make a tent and he's going to dwell in it in the midst of all of our tents. They're looking at the mountain and they're thinking, that's going to go inside a tent in the midst of us? And that is exactly what God wanted to do. And everywhere inside that tent would be shed blood. The glory of God, you cannot talk about it for long without getting to the blood of a substitute from the earliest pages of your Bible. That is what it is all about. You also can't talk about the shed blood of a substitute without very quickly saying how much God is glorified by that. The glory of God will lead you to a substitute's shedding of his blood and talking about the shedding of the great substitute's blood will make you want to glorify God. Well, what are we talking about? And obviously the the ultimate substitute is Jesus Christ. Um, He is the one that all of the other substitutes pointed to and away from themselves to him in the shedding of his great blood for the forgiveness of sins of many. When we talk about the cross of Christ, what are we not saying? Um, we're, We're not interested in a Christless cross. We're not talking about a relic, right? We're also not trying to diminish an empty tomb, talking about the cross without emphasis upon um, the the resurrection of Jesus. Um, But but what we're emphasizing is is bloody substitutionary sacrifice. That is at the heart of the Bible. Um, The Old Testament type of this is Leviticus 16, the Day of Atonement. Uh, Turn to Hebrews chapter 9. Let's look at that one. The New Testament teaching on... And I love Hebrews 9. Hebrews 8 and 9 it will tie together your Old Testament with your New Testament very well. <clears throat> Hebrews 9, verse 18. Hebrews 9, verse 18. Therefore, the writer says, even the first covenant was not inaugurated without blood. See, even the Mosaic covenant was inaugurated with blood. Like the New, Test- uh, the new Covenant is inaugurated with blood. Verse 19, for when every commandment had been spoken to Moses to all the people according to the law, he took the blood of the calves and the goats and the water and scarlet wool and hyssop and he sprinkled both the book itself and all the people saying, this is the blood of the covenant which God commanded you. 
And in the same way, he sprinkled both the tabernacle and all the vessels of the ministry with the blood. And according to the law, one may almost say all things are cleansed with blood and without shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. The only way a believer in Israel knew forgiveness was to somehow look at the blood of a sacrifice and trust that God was wiping away sin. We know that that blood of that sacrifice does not take away sin, but that blood of that sacrifice pointed to the better blood and the better sacrifice of the one who does take away sin. Verse um, 21, where did I leave off? Verse 23. Therefore, it was necessary for the copies of the things in the heavens to be cleansed with these, but the heavenly things themselves with better sacrifices than these. In other words, what happened back in Exodus... was Moses, when making a a tent, was making a copy of what heaven was, what the presence of God was like, is temple-like. And so he was making a copy, and it had to be cleansed and set apart. For Christ, verse 24, did not enter a holy place made with hands. He didn't go into the temple. He didn't go into the Holy of Holies in Jerusalem which was a mere copy of the true one, but he went into heaven itself now to appear in the presence of God for us. Nor was it that he would offer himself often as the high priest enters the holy place year by year with blood that is not his own. Otherwise, Jesus would have needed to suffer often since the foundation of the world. But now once, at the consummation of the ages, he has been manifested, he's been revealed to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. There it is. That is what happened at the cross. He substituted himself as a sacrifice. He substituted himself as a bloody sacrifice in order to take away sin, to put away sin. And inasmuch as it is appointed for men to die once, and after this comes judgment, so Christ also, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, he will appear a second time for salvation without reference to sin to those who eagerly await him. So there you have what the cross of Christ is all about. I'm going to give you a theological phrase that I give you every single time when we talk about this. Do you guys know what it is? Penal Substitutionary Atonement. P-E-N-A-L. Penal Substitutionary Atonement. Okay? Um, You do not need to say those words to somebody when you're sharing the gospel. You might scare them away. They may not know what you're talking about. But it is a great outline in your own mind. And when you are preaching the gospel to yourself, remember those three words. There is a penalty that had to be paid. And that penalty could only be paid by a substitute. And that substitute who shed his blood to pay my penalty atoned for my sin. That means in atoning for my sin, he took my sin and he carried it away from God's presence. That means the wrath and the judgment that I deserved. He drank that cup and he satisfied God's judgment. Atonement means that he reconciled me to God when I was still an enemy. So a penalty had to be paid by a substitute so that I could have my sins atoned for. When you share the gospel, it's that simple. There's a penalty that has to be paid for your sin. But good news, there's a substitute who will stand in your place to atone for your sin, to carry your sin out of the sight of God, to satisfy the judgment of God. Practically speaking, what does this mean? The cross of Christ, just like the glory of God, the first thing you better do before you do anything else with this is you should soak in uh, this gospel of Jesus Christ in the Bible. Look for the bloody sacrifice of a substitute all throughout all the pages of your Bible. Soak in that first. 
Um, Paul says in Galatians 6, May it never be that I would boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. The only way you can boast in it is if you're soaking in it, if you're exposing your heart to it. Um, Position yourself to see that every day. Um, Thirdly, transformation of life by the Spirit. The role of the Holy Spirit is probably one of the most misunderstood um, roles. Um, His primary role in the Bible is to apply the work of Christ at the cross to the one that God is saving. Um, Penal substitutionary atonement in the hands of the Holy Spirit is an absolutely powerful thing. Um, And when that takes place, a massive salvation occurs in the sinner that God is saving. Salvation is not reduced to fire insurance, like many talk about it. In other words, yeah, I walked the aisle or whatever, signed the card, I, I, I prayed the prayer, whatever it is, and I get to go to heaven now. I, I'm still living like hell on earth, but I don't get to go to hell, I get to go to heaven. That is fire insurance, and that is not why, what Jesus did as a substitute to pay a penalty to atone for sins. The Holy Spirit takes that penal substitutionary sacrifice and he applies it to the life of the one that God is saving. And amazing things happen. Let me talk about salvation in three tenses. Let's talk about your past. Um, When you turn around today and you look at your past, what the Spirit of God did in applying the, the substitutionary work of Jesus to your life, what he did is he washed away all of your sins. There, when you look back, God sees none of anything that you were and that you did without Christ. It's all been washed away. Your sins are forgiven. When you turn around and you look to the future, the Spirit of God applying the work of Christ to your life, you have the hope of heaven before you. You get to anticipate all of the the, the amazing, whatever it's going to be, to finally see Jesus face to face. But you don't live in the past anymore, and you don't live in heaven yet. You live here today. So what? The gospel saved me from my past. The gospel is going to give me an amazing future. But what does the gospel do today? That is what the Holy Spirit's role is primarily revealed in Scripture. It is to help you today apply the gospel to your life today so that you can continue to be transformed into the image of Jesus Christ. You see, this is what we don't understand as Christians today. I understand my past. Everything I was is, is forgiven and I get to go to heaven, but I really don't know what to do today. No, you do know what to do today. If you read your Bible and you focus on the Spirit of God, He is there to help you grow and to become sanctified in your life. Let's talk about it in terms of sin. In the past, sin's penalty was paid when the Spirit of God applied the work of the Gospel to your life. Let's talk about the future. Sin's presence is wiped away completely and finally and forever. Today... Let's talk about it in terms of sin and a P word. What is it today? Sin's power is broken. In your past, sin's penalty taken care of. In the future, sin's presence completely gone. Today, sin's power broken by the power of the Holy Spirit in your life. Now, you can be a knucklehead and you can go back and you can say yes to sin and submit yourself to its power, but you will never be chained to it like a slave again. Why? Because the Spirit of God applied the gospel to your life, 
transformed you and is continuing to transform you. All right? Now, you need to understand a little something about the relationship between regeneration and progressive sanctification. This is just a... I'll try to keep this really brief so we understand this. Um, Regeneration or being born again is what the Spirit of God does. You are born again by the Spirit. Jesus taught Nicodemus that. Okay, that's Old Testament salvation. Regeneration is not a New Testament idea. It's not a Johnny-come-lately idea. He, in fact, he chides Nicodemus. You don't know this? Okay? So, the Spirit, when he rebirths you, that is an event. That is an event that has one set of fingerprints on it. It is God's. You'd, let's talk about your physical birth. You didn't help yourself get born. Okay? There was only one person helping you get born. And that was mom, right? So, in your spiritual birth, there's only one set of fingerprints upon it. It is God and it is an event. What flows from that is a process. Okay? An event, regeneration, then makes a progress, a process. It's called progressive sanctification. On that, how many sets of fingerprints are on it? Two. God's by His Spirit, but also now what? Mine and yours. You Look, your wife will not sanctify you. She wants to sanctify you. Your mom wants to sanctify you. Your children want to sanctify you, but they can't sanctify you. Because you are the only one who can pick up the commands of Jesus and do them for you. And you will not become progressively more holy if you do not pick up the commands of Christ and obey. I mean, think about it. That would be saying you don't have to obey, but you still somehow become more holy. What? That makes no sense, right? So, where all of the errors come in, I shouldn't say all of them, where most of the errors come in to Christianity is when you take that event and that process and you mix them up. In other words, if you do these things as a process, God will save you. So now regeneration becomes a process. And there's how many sets of fingerprints on that? Two. I'm doing works and God is helping and I get saved. Okay? That's probably not where we live. We probably live with the errors on this side that we've got to deal with where we're at, which is sanctification becomes an event. In other words, there should have been two sets of fingerprints on it, but the Christian oftentimes does this let go and let God. And see, I'm just trusting in God to become more holy. Well, yeah, you know what? You better put your hands on the commands because you will never be a holy man or a holy woman without actually obeying. That is what ushers out of regeneration. Equipping is there for it. Old Testament revelation and anticipation of this is everywhere. You can see it in the New Testament as well. I'm going to hurry a little bit here. I want to go to Titus chapter 3. Take a look at that. Titus chapter 3, the New Testament teaching on regeneration. Here's a great passage. Paul says there in verse 3 of Titus 3, We also once were foolish ourselves, disobedient, deceived, enslaved, the various lusts and pleasures, spending our life in malice and envy, hateful, hating one another. But when the kindness of God our Savior and His love for mankind appeared, He saved us. And He saved us not on the basis of deeds which we have done in righteousness. He didn't save us with something that had two sets of fingerprints on it. But He has saved us according to His mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewing by the Holy Spirit. That Holy Spirit He poured out upon us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior. That is a Trinitarian passage. 
the Holy Spirit was poured out by Him, by God the Father, through Jesus Christ. There's, where is God at work? Where is the God in His triune greatness at work? He is at work saving you and me. Praise God. What a great God and Savior. Practically speaking, what does this mean? Um, same thing as before. I think a good place to start is daily position yourself to see your need for the Holy Spirit to see your need for the Spirit of God, to express to God in prayer that you are dependent upon Him to grow more and more into the image of Christ. You can write down 2 Corinthians 3.18, that we are being transformed from one level of glory to another into the image of Christ by the Lord who is the Spirit. We should not miss this primary foundational work of applying the cross of Jesus Christ in time to the sinner being saved. That's the work of the Spirit. We should not miss His constant support for sanctification. If you've been trying to grow in Christ, and if you've been trying to become more holy, and if you've been trying to turn away from sin, and if you've been trying to grow your affections for Jesus Christ, but you have not been thinking about the role of the Holy Spirit, you are you're diminishing your efforts. Because that is who the Spirit of God is. That is what He is here for. That we would walk by Him. Let's talk about our gospel purpose in Christ, number two. What do we mean by um, a gospel purpose? It appears in the New Testament, and I encourage you as you read through the gospels this year, you can um, look for these three key activities of Jesus with His disciples. Jesus is drawing in disciples. Jesus is then building up His disciples. And then Jesus is sending out his disciples. So drawing in, building up, and sending out. We want to be a part of this. So you've got a trinity or a a triad in the the biblical vision that is the Godhead, and then there is a triad in our gospel purpose, which is action that we participate in in the gospel mission. Let's talk about drawing in first. Um, I've got a blank there for you to fill in. Drawing in is uniquely God's sovereign and saving work. It is God's sovereign and saving work. Look at John chapter 6, verse 44. You're familiar with these passages, I know. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. That's the kind of drawing in we're talking about. The drawing in that God the Father does. Um, John chapter 6, verse 65. For this reason I have said to you that no one can come to me unless it has been granted him from the Father. That is what we are after. Um, By drawing in, we're not talking about um, being satisfied if we draw sinners into a program or that we drew sinners into our worship service or that we're satisfied that we drew... Let me talk just about you. Let's say at your work you want to do a workplace Bible study. By this drawing in, we're not merely talking about that you're satisfied that you got some unbelievers to come to your workplace Bible study. That's great. But that's not what we're talking about, right? What we're talking about is the unique work that only God can do when He and His sovereignty draws them savingly so into Jesus Christ through faith in the gospel, right? We're not satisfied for men or women or boys or girls to be drawn into summer camp or anything to a small group, to a worship service, and yet have them still not believe in Jesus Christ. If an unbeliever participates in a program or anything like that, look, that's great. Praise God they're here, but we're laboring for a drawing in that is more than that, right? 
another blank for you to fill in here. Jesus crucified is God's unique object of attraction. Um, if you just turn a couple more pages to John chapter 12, verse 32, you'll see this. <clears throat> if I am lifted up from the earth, Jesus says, I will draw all men to myself. And by lifted up there, he's referring to his crucifixion. Listen to these verses. 1 Corinthians 1.18 The word of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. The word of the cross is the power of God. What's the power of God? The word of the cross. But what do you have to lift up to see men be drawn to Christ? You have to lift Jesus up, who's crucified. Uh, listen to... Um, 1 Corinthians 1, to 24, there's a portion in there that says, to those who are called, Christ crucified is the power of God. 1 Corinthians 2, 1 to 5, your faith must not rest on the wisdom of men, on the cleverness of men, but your faith, your salvation must rest on the power of God in the cross and in the gospel. <clears throat> Practically speaking, when you think about your own personal evangelism, where you work, where you go to school, your family, with your own children, with your parents, with your neighbors, whatever. When you think about your own personal evangelism, ask yourself this question, what am I lifting up? What am I lifting up? If as a church we lift up programs or events that we do, they don't have power. They don't. There's only one thing that has power. If you, in your personal evangelism, if you lift up for them companionship, I'm just going to befriend this sinner and I am going to love on them and I'm going to spend time with them. I'm going to take on their interests and these all sound like really good things to do and I'm not saying don't do them. I'm not poo-pooing them. But do they have power? They do not have power. You know what I can do as a dad? witnessing and bringing the gospel to bear on my children, I can lift up being liked by my children. I can view that as if, if, if I'm liked by them, no conflict, everything's happy, good things are going on spiritually. There is no power in being liked by anybody. Look, should you? is the goal to be hated by people? No, that's not what we're talking about. Is the goal to um, not develop friendships with unbelievers? No, the goal is to do that. But what has power? Ask yourself, what has power? What if you befriend a sinner and you go and you do everything that they love to do and you do it for three months and they just seem to really like you? Do, does that tell you anything spiritually? It tells you nothing. Until you what? Until you lift up Jesus Christ crucified that you have a penalty that must be paid by a substitute to atone for your sin. When they respond to that, now you'll know. Now you'll know what's going on. So why do programs exist? To lift up what? The power of God in the gospel, etc. Building up. What is building up? I'm going to go quickly through this one. You can write down Ephesians. I think you've got there. Ephesians 4, 11 to 16. Especially verse 16. Um, what we want you to think about is, usually as Christians, we have no trouble thinking about, I need to be personally built up. My life is uh, one in Christ that must be edified. It must be built up. And that's usually about all we think of. But Ephesians 4 is about not just you being built up, but it's actually primarily about Jesus Christ building up the body. 
and then how your life fits into that as a member of that body. Chapter 4, verse 16 says, um, it is the body that causes the growth of the body. But you, as an individual part of that body, you must work properly so that as your life comes up and connects with another life, there's a connection of power and supply that holds the whole body together and the body grows. So the challenge for you that we would want to put before you is that to not think less about getting yourself built up, but think more about your life being plugged into the lives of others in the body so that the body grows. That's what God is after in this world, to grow the body of Christ. And yes, that will not happen unless you are growing. But if you grow personally but never attach yourself to the body of Christ, number one, you're not really being built up. Because God never designed an individual Christian to be a lone ranger. But you're a finger, you're an eye, you're an ear, you're a hand. And you must be connected to the body. Okay, so there's your idea of being built up. Focus on the body being built up. Get your life plugged into the body of Christ here. And I'd love to help you with that if you want ideas and have some need for doing that. Lastly, the third part of the triad, sending out. There's a connection between drawing in, between building up and sending out. If you focus on all three, it'll help you as a church to, it'll help us as a church to not um, get lopsided. Look, um, the illustration that came to my mind when I was thinking about this earlier this week, you know those big exercise balls, right? Can you imagine trying to stand on it? I mean, you would never just be standing still, would you? It's like a unicycle. You're, you're constantly having to shift and, and make sure that you're thinking of several things at once. Um, focusing on these three things should constantly keep you moving, drawing in. Are we drawing? Yeah, we're drawing in. Let's focus on drawing. Okay, we're drawing in. That's really good. Wait a minute, wait. We, 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 once we're drawn in, we've we got to be built up. We got, okay, we're building up, we're building up, we're building up. Okay, wait a minute. These people are ready to go. We've got to send them out. Well, wait a minute. What are they sending out? Because well, we're going to draw more in. And so you're, you're constantly, these three things overlap, and they should keep us as a church from becoming just lopsided. Um, every church is lopsided. Grace Bible Church is lopsided, and we are fighting all of the time to not be lopsided. Um, it doesn't matter what season you go through in the life of a church. Uh, it may be, have a huge evangelistic thrust that's going on, and it's diminishing other important elements like building up and sending out. Or it's sending out missionaries like crazy, um, but you're creating a vacuum behind you because you're not building up more people to replace those people. So it doesn't matter. In the life of the church, there needs to be a constant focus on these three things. Um, There is no way that you can view yourself as a disciple of Jesus Christ, as a Christian, without viewing yourself as a sent one. I've got several um, statements there for you. God has always been a sending God. The the very earliest, when he reveals himself in the Bible, uh, like to Moses, "I I send you. He said to Jeremiah, I send you. He said to Isaiah, I'm sending you. Whom shall I send? Uh, Ezekiel, I'm sending you. John was sent. John the Baptist, that is. And so forth. Jesus Christ says that in the Gospel of John, he was sent by his Father. Uh, As you read through the Gospel of John, look for the word send or sent. You'll find it used over 50 times. 22 chapters. Is that right? In John? 21. Thank you, Scott. 21. 
50 uses of the word send or sent. I wonder what Jesus is trying to say. Um, the Holy Spirit is said to be sent by the Father, and Jesus says that he'll send the Spirit. So get this. God the Father is ascending God. God the Son was sent. The Son sends the Spirit. The Father sends the Spirit. So what's the triune greatness of God about? Sending. Okay? I wonder what disciples of that Jesus will be like. Wouldn't it be odd if we weren't sent once? But they all were sending, ascending God, but we're not sent once. We are witnesses, are we not? We testify of Jesus Christ. And so we are sent ones as well. Practically speaking, how would I encourage you in this? Think of yourself as a sent one every day. Before you walk out the door, put something on your door. Put something on the dash of your car. Put something somewhere that reminds you that as you go out into your day, you are a sent one of Jesus Christ. You're on a mission for Jesus Christ in the gospel. Now, it's a gospel purpose that's revealed in, the, in this triad, and it, the gospel is central to all three of these. How do you draw anybody in without the gospel? You don't. How do you build up any Christian without the gospel? You don't. What on earth would you send somebody out to do if you don't send them with the gospel? You see, it's a gospel purpose, and the gospel is central to all three. All right, so there is the biblical vision and um, the gospel purpose of Christ. Um, what I want to do is I want to spend the next 30 minutes talking about um, how Build and Wellspring fit into all of this. So you are more than welcome. I'm going to keep talking. You're more than welcome to get up and dismiss yourself if you need to, to go get something more. Um, but I'm just going to keep going. Do you, are there any questions that you have at this point? Does anybody want to ask a question, ask clar- clarification on something? You're more than welcome to do that too. Mr. Drake. I'm kind of going back, way back to the beginning. Okay. When you explain what the glory of God was else there, can you explain a little bit more what you mean by glorify God? Yeah. Glorify God would be like to, to praise Him, to please Him, to honor Him, uh, that you would want Him to be seen, to be great through what you say and do in life. Now, the way that you, and that's why I, I think it's important to talk about. Soaking in the glory of God first before you endeavor to try to honor God with your life, praise God with your life, please God with your life and what you say. Because if you drink in his weightiness, his overwhelming glory and oppressiveness, especially in his son Jesus, that is fuel to want him to be seen to be that God through what you say, through what you do, through what you choose not to say, through what you choose not to do. Those kinds of things. So that's what I'm talking about. Is that helpful? Yes. Good question. Yes, Bill. What we're not saying. Yeah, we're not saying. What, what I meant there was we're not talking about a, like a Christless cross. We're not interested in a relic. Um, we, we've been. That's been brought to our attention before. You talk about the cross, the cross, the cross, and we're like, no, actually we're not talking about merely the cross. We're talking about a substitute sacrifice. It happened to be on a cross. So that's what we're talking about. And we're also not saying that the, the resurrection is not important. We're not trying to focus merely on uh, the cross to the exclusion of um, the resurrection. The reality is though, the resurrection does not mean anything if a sinless substitute did not shed his blood. It has to be that one who's raised from the dead. So that's what we're talking about. Tom. Um, when you 
Yeah, I, I, I'm not sure if I would know what else to, to say other than God simply determined that God simply determined that um, an animal's life blood the life is in the blood would have to lose its life and the evidence that it lost its life would be its blood and he wanted to see that and it had to be um, an innocent victim because the one who was guilty his blood would not atone and so God instituted that and that was not with animal sacrifice that was not the first thing that was on God's mind the first thing on God's mind in eternity past was his son's blood but he revealed that in stages didn't he through the Bible and so um, ultimately uh, you have everything in the Old Testament pointing away from itself to um, as copies to really a lamb standing as if slain um, with all of his people around him in glory Um, so I I don't think there's really a I could be wrong I don't think there's anything mystical or more magical or something about that than that it's it's just a a substitute's lifeblood shed in the place of the one who's worshipping that's my understanding anyway so if you got something else in mind or more, we can talk about that. Be good. Okay. Good. All right. Let's move on and talk about uh, Build Wellspring and GBC's vision and purpose. I've got uh, four questions for you. Number one. <coughs> How do Build and Wellspring fit within the vision and the purpose of Grace Bible Church? I would say this way. First, it fits within the biblical vision in this sense that um, if the glory of God makes you think of the cross of Christ and then a changed life by the Holy Spirit, there must be spiritual disciplines put into place by faith that you must act upon to become transformed. You must discipline yourself for that change. And build and wellspring seek to put before you some spiritual disciplines that will help you grow in your transformation of life. So I think Build and Wellspring fit in in that first section that way. Uh, maybe the more obvious connection is is if you think of drawing in, building up, or sending out, you probably would think more obviously of building up. Build and Wellspring um, exists to really build up the, the believing man or woman. Um, build and Wellspring are not designed primarily as an evangelistic ministry or program. That is not to say that um, some, a man or woman could not get saved thinking that they are a, a believer coming and hearing about the things we're talking about and going, oh my goodness, I'm not a real believer. Um, I repent and I believe and, and that they could, but um, we do not design this ministry for that purpose. Um, this ministry is designed for professing men and women who have made Grace Bible Church their home. We want to see them be equipped with these spiritual disciplines so that their lives are transformed more and more into the image of Jesus Christ. And by focusing on what we do here in Build to be built up and, and in Wellspring to be built up, um, we're not um, ignorant of sending out. Uh, in fact, we have an explosion, I think, of coming, and, and that is in place now, of, of people who want to be sent out, be sent out just where they live, sent into their households, sent into their neighborhoods, sent into their workplaces be sent out even more formally by the church to plant churches, to do missions. Um, so our hope is it really covers the full gamut of what Grace Bible Church is about. But um, 
primarily it is a building up ministry. What, uh, within this first question, maybe a brief word about how Build and Wellspring even relate to other ministries in the church. Um, what Build and Wellspring are after in terms of um, these spiritual disciplines that we'll talk about in a moment, um, getting them to be working um, like a well-oiled machinery uh, machine in the life of a believer, that will only help you participate more fully in small groups. And it will only help you minister more faithfully with, to the children in our church, to students in student ministries. Uh, it, if you do set up and tear down, it'll help you to care well for the other men and women that you do set up and tear down with. Um, so it kind of is a um, runs through the heart of everything we do in the church. If you've been in Builder Wellspring for a year, you'll understand a lot about what Grace Bible Church is about. Okay. Secondly, second question: How do Builder Wellspring build up believing men and women? of Grace Bible Church. We say that it is a building up ministry. How does it specifically do that? There are, in Build and Wellspring, three core foundational spiritual disciplines. The men have actually three more because you know men just need more instruction than women do. But there are three primary or core foundational disciplines. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to describe them to you first without their titles. And then I'm going to give you their titles at the end. So if you've been through it, you know what I'm talking about. But um, I want to talk about it conceptually first. Here's the first core discipline, the foundational discipline. Um, It's all about how you, as a believer in Jesus Christ, worshipfully pursue God while your Bible is open. The first discipline of Bill and Wellspring is how you, as a believer, worshipfully draw near to God when your Bible is open. trying to think always of new ways to say it. Um, if you draw near to God or if you open your Bible and you are not worshipping the God of that Bible there is something wrong if you open your Bible but your affections for Jesus Christ are not fueling you to come to that Bible and are not even grown and enlarged because you were in that Bible something's wrong if your Bible is open but your fear of God is not growing. Something's wrong. So the first spiritual discipline that we're talking about is when your Bible is open, what you are there for, you need to have a good answer. You should open your Bible in the morning and what you could say prayerfully is, why am I here? God, why am I here right now? I am here because I must have you, God. I must know you. I I want my affections for you and your son to grow. I I need your spirit's power in my life to be what you called me to be, etc. and so forth. Does that make sense? It is not... I'll tell you what I have discovered in my own life. It is not safe to assume that because I'm a Christian and because my Bible is open that all of that is happening. It is not safe for me to assume that that is happening. It takes discipline to make sure that's happening in my life. And if that's a new thought for you, you're going to get a whole year walking with a bunch of people who are discovering that themselves. It takes self-control to open your Bible and say, this right now is about worship of God. This is about expressing love for God. I need to grow in that self-control. Okay, So there's your first foundational discipline. There's a second one that flows from that, and it's about this. It's purposefully impacting 
your household relationships first before any others. It's purposefully impacting your household relationships before you impact any others. Becoming a a woman or a man who thirsts for God in and through his word, you should impact first those you live with. They, the ones that you live with in your home, if if it's your mom or your dad, if it's your parents, if it's your children, if it's your husband, if it's your wife, if it's your roommates, um, you should be first concerned that they would be impacted by the kind of man or the kind of woman you're becoming. If you live all by yourself as a single guy, single woman, I encourage you to open the doors of your home and get people into your home as often as possible so that they can be impacted by you. Let them come into your household. Let them see that there's an aroma of God's word coming off you because you can't think of living without the word of God to get the God of the word. Um, I talk about this a lot with the the, the single men in our church. I like to have this conversation in front of the single women in the church. Um, I tell the guys this, ladies. Let's see, how can I put it? Maybe I'll put it this way. If, 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 a, if a single man, believing man, came and he showed interest in you, young lady, one of the first places, if you asked me, what should I do? Give me some advice. I'd say, go talk to his roommate. Go talk to his roommate. Is he living at home with his parents? Go talk to his parents. Does he have siblings in his house? Go talk to his younger brother. Because um, if that young man is leapfrogging over his household relationships, but trying to give you the impression that when you guys are under the same roof, it's all good. It's going to be amazing. It's going to be your dream come true, honey. You get to live with me. Well, you know what? There's people who already live with him, and you should go find out what kind of an impact he's making in his household because he's been laying down a pattern of living with those knucklehead roommates, and then you're going to step in. God, have mercy on you, ladies. Find the right guy. Be picky. Guys, grab a clue if you need to. Focus on your household relationships first, okay? We've all seen in the church the devastation that comes because a man was leapfrogging over his own heart and how he interacted with the Word of God and he was leapfrogging over his household, but boy, was he involved in ministry and boy, did he show lots of promise. He was a sharp theological thinker and then his wife leaves him and his kids hate his guts and he fails morally and we scratch our heads going, what happened? Well, it's easy. Go back to the very first discipline. When he opened his Bible, he wasn't concerned to know God. And he, and he missed the people he lived with. It, it makes sense, and that obviously leads you to the third core discipline. Um, now you're ready to minister to people outside of your household, right? And what you represent yourself to be out there while you're with them is what you've been representing yourself to be in the household with your roommates, your family, your wife, your husband. And it's what you've been when nobody is watching but your Bible is open early in the morning and you're just crying out to God I I must know you meet with me do not assume that because you're a Christian and because you have a Bible 
that all of this is okay. Do not assume. It takes discipline. That's what Build and Wellspring are all about, is helping you to practice these disciplines. What are the titles of these three disciplines? Number one, discipline one is the heart. The way we talk about it is shepherd your heart to the word of God, to know the God of the word. Discipline two is the home. Don't leapfrog your household to get to other more important things, to get to work, to get to relationships. Uh, the home. Third discipline is the ministry. It's your ministry outside your home. So heart, home, and ministry. Third question, why does discipline one, the heart, hold such a primary place in building and wellspring? I want to spend a little bit more time on discipline one. Why does that one come first? Um, if you are a man or a woman full of worship of God, full of love for Jesus Christ, and you are opening your Bible and you are expressing to God, the very fact that your Bible is open is an expression of your need for God and His Spirit in your life. And the Word of God is your lifeline connection to God every day. If you are that kind of person, wherever you go, whatever you do, whatever people come into your life, you will be ready. That doesn't mean you'll be perfect. But you will be more ready in that condition than you are if you don't shepherd your heart to God and His Word. And if you're ignoring the people in your household and then all of a sudden an opportunity gets dropped in your lap in front of you, you think you're going to be sharp for it? You're not going to have integrity for it. Everything in your life becomes hollow. Look, I'll, I can tell you this from my own experience because I ebb and flow with this as a, as a Christian. Uh, there are times that I do this well in my life and there's times where I'm like, wait a minute, what have I been doing when the Bible's been open in my life and why are things such a, why is there so much strife in my home right now? But I, I can tell you, my life is hollow and vain and empty, even as a Christian, when these spiritual disciplines are not firing on all cylinders. And you'll find the same to be true in your own life. So what do we mean more specifically, though, by the heart? The, the better question to ask is, what does the Bible mean by the word heart? Um, what does the Bible mean by the word heart? Um, it is this. The heart is who you are inwardly before God. The heart is who you are inwardly before God. The heart is the inner man. It is the inner woman before God. I love 1 Peter 3, 4. You can write it down. Ladies, for you, it is especially uh, helpful and appropriate because it describes the woman there as the, it is the hidden person of the heart. The hidden person of the heart. There is a person you at the heart level that cannot be seen because the outer stuff is in the way. Okay? Um, take away the physical body and do you still exist? Yes. You still exist in heart form, in soul form. The inner man or the inner woman is housed within the body but it is not dependent upon the body for existence. Your body will die and you will continue on. 2 Corinthians 4.16 says, Though our outer man is decaying, that's what you see out here, the outer man is decaying, yet our inner man is being renewed day by day. That's the Christian life. This out here is falling apart and it is getting worse, but what is on the inside is to be getting renewed every day. So what is your heart? Here's another way to say it. It's you. Your heart is you. It's who you are inwardly. What is your heart? Uh, what isn't your heart? It's not a piece of you. It's not a portion of you. It's not like your hand is a part of you. Nobody looks at their hand and says, that's me. 
No, that's not the totality of me. You put this with everything else, that's the totality of me. But your heart is not represented in Scripture like your hand is. You don't give God your heart like it's a piece of you. Okay? You don't trust in God with all of your hand and leaning not on your own understanding. No, you're trusting in God with all that you are inwardly before God. Right? English isn't helpful. The English language isn't helpful. We say stuff like, put your heart into it. What do we mean? Put some passion into it. Put some, play with emotion. Play with heart. Well, that's a piece of me, but that's not me. Okay, so what are we saying? What we aim for in discipline one is what we call shepherding your heart. Counseling your heart. Directing your heart. That means shepherding you. Control you. Direct your inner man, direct your inner woman before God. And primarily, you're leading your inner person to the Word of God to worshipfully meet with Him there, to lovingly meet with Him there, to express your need and desire for Jesus Christ. The whole reason that you can even do that right now is because God saved you. It's because God saved you. You are in a condition right now in which you can do that. You can control yourself and direct yourself and shepherd yourself. Now, I'm going to talk a little bit about um, what biblical salvation is like a a little bit more here that kind of picks up on what we talked about back in the biblical vision part. I'm going to give you an intro today to this, and then Bill and Wellspring are going to focus on this for really the the, the greater part of the the rest of the year. Um, I want to talk to, to you about who you now are in Christ at the heart level so you understand this discipline. Uh, let's talk first about your life over here before Christ, before God saved you, before you repented and believed, before God somehow united you with Christ crucified and Christ raised from the dead. Way back then, you, the Bible says, were dead in your trespasses and sins, right? Ephesians 2. Your inner person before God was dead before God in sin. At the inner man level, the Bible says that you were only one thing. You could only be one thing. And that is all united, every piece and portion of you, all of it united together against God in rebellion against Him. Your mind was this way, your flesh was this way. Indwelling sin was this way, your heart was this way. All of who you are inwardly was all united in an unmixed condition. Unmixed is the key word. An unmixed condition of rebellion against God. That condition of who you were before Christ, there was nothing in you that wanted to control that and make it holy. That's an unshepherdable condition, the Bible says. Unshepherdable by you. It's unmixed in sin. Now, let's skip that, or leave that, skip over what we are today, and let's go to the future and go to heaven. In salvation, the body eventually will be, if you die, um, will be separated from your inner man and your inner condition, and that inner man condition will be unmixed again. But unmixed in what? Holiness and righteousness. Nothing but love for Jesus. And that too, that unmixed condition over there will be an unshepherdable condition. You won't need to control yourself saying, oh wait, I'm in heaven, I forgot, no, no sin here. I can't sin today. You're never going to have to think about that again. There will never be a drag on you 
towards sin anymore. You won't have to say, man, why do I just keep forgetting about Jesus here in heaven? I want, I gotta discipline myself to, to get, no, you won't even have to do that because there will be no hindrances. You, you won't have to direct yourself. It will just be. Like it just was over here that you just sinned and resisted God. It will just be that in heaven. There's just one problem. You don't live in either one of those places right now. You live here. You can't... No, no, let, me, let me press this home. As long as you are alive, do you understand this? You cannot be that in heaven. Do you understand that? As long as you live right now, you will not be what your condition will be in heaven. Do you understand? You cannot be perfect. You cannot be that now. It is impossible for you to be that as long as you are alive right now. Do you understand? Do you believe the same thing this way? Do you believe the same thing this way? What you are in this condition that God has made you through the gospel of Jesus Christ that you cannot become what you were. You are called a new creation in Christ. That means you can never go back to an unmixed condition in which all that you ever was was a slave to sin all of the time, constantly rebelling against God. You now can never go back to that if you indeed are in Christ. That is the best news. That's, no, it's not the best. It's good news. The best news is you get to be in heaven with Jesus. Okay? So, what then is this condition here? It was unmixed in sin in the past. It is going to be unmixed in holiness and righteousness in the future. This, however, what I am today, is a mixed condition. Mixed. Mixed in sin. Mixed in new desires. I have new desires that I never had before. I desire Jesus Christ. I I am interested in the Word of God. I hate sin. I don't want to be in sin. I love God. I want to see people hear about Jesus and respond to Jesus Christ in faith and repentance. I want that. Where did that come from? Well, I've been made new. I even want to obey God. And I have equipping to actually pick up the commands of God and do them. I do. I didn't have it before. It wasn't even an interest. But I have that now. I'm a mixed creature in Christ. But there's still this drag of sin and flesh upon me. And there's turmoil within me. There's turmoil within you. There is a fight in you every day. You ever notice that? When you get out of, when your alarm goes off, if you're trying to think, I've got to get up and read my Bible. Ever, ever notice a fight? Even as you read your Bible? You're at church. You ever notice how much of a fight there is in the car on the way to church? But you can think about anything else and everything else. There's a fight. You know what? Let me tell you the good news. The good news was before you were a Christian, there was no fight. And let me tell you some other good news. In heaven, there will be no fight. The Christian life is a fight. And you may need to reorient all of your thinking about what it means to be a Christian. And I hope the Bible will help you to do this. That your life is a fight. It is. I would have not ever thought to do it this way. I would have thought just go from unmixed to unmixed and it'll just be done with it. And that's great. It's wonderful. But God derives glory as you fight. Trusting in Him. Depending upon Him. A righteous man falls seven times, but he gets up. That glorifies God. 
and it makes Satan look foolish. That he keeps trying, but he keeps getting defeated. And he keeps trying, and he keeps getting defeated. Sin tries, but sin loses. Sin tries, but sin loses. And we get to fight. What would it be like if you were a soldier and you went out into the battlefield and you went out with no plan and you went out with no weaponry and you didn't uh, have any protection? That's a bad, bad day. What if you got into a boxing ring and there was a vicious opponent who all he could think of was knocking you out and you stepped in and you had no gloves on and you had no desire to fight? That's a bad, bad day. What happens if you get up and you enter into your day Um, and you do nothing to equip yourself, arm yourself for the day. That is the worst day because we're talking spiritual. You must equip yourself. This condition alone, look, before you were in Christ in this unmixed condition, there was no reason to bring your heart to the word of God so that you would know the God of the word. You, You could not do that yourself. You did not have the interest. In heaven, you will not have to shepherd your heart to the word of God to know the God of the word because you will see him. This is the only condition in which the first discipline of build and wellspring even makes sense. And really, in many ways, so much of the Christian life hangs on this. If you don't do this, you are going to be impoverished as a believer in Jesus Christ. Last question, question number four. What is the history behind this? Build um, began nine years ago. And really what Build is for the men, just so you ladies know, and this will be helpful for you guys as well, Build is, a, um, is one layer of leadership development in the church for men. God's desire for men in the Bible is that they would be the spiritual leaders of their homes and the spiritual leaders in the church family. And so the Build disciplines um, orient the man toward that end. What we are after as a church is really having a harvest of men who will spiritually lead their households and spiritually lead the church. Um, to do that, we've added three other disciplines for the men. Um, discipline four for the men is the qualifications. We put the qualifications for deacon and elder in front of them and tell them to aim at it. Uh, discipline five is what we call the hermeneutic. It's how you interpret the Bible. We want the men to start being to, to think about how to interpret the words um, on the pages of Scripture. And discipline six is what we covered today. It's the vision and the purpose of the church. Uh, these men who are working on these spiritual disciplines don't go to other churches. They go to this church. We want them to understand this church. For nine years, we've been doing that at Grace Bible Church with men in the church, and um, we're going to keep doing it, Lord willing. Um, so how then did we get to have a separate ministry for the women that focuses on the same court, uh, foundational disciplines of the heart, the home, and the ministry? Well, after many years of doing build with the men, the, the, there was an increasing hunger in the lives of the women. And I want you to turn briefly to Titus chapter 2. I want you to see this for a moment. There was an increasing hunger in the lives of the, of the women. Husbands and fathers and sons were in their households and they were talking to the women in their households about these core disciplines. Um, but it became clear that we wanted to do something more and have the women do that. God, you know what, ladies, I don't know if you know this, but God has a really special, unique ministry for you among women to do in the church. And Titus 2 talks about it. Look at verse 3. Older women likewise are to be reverent in their behavior, not malicious gossips, nor enslaved to much wine, teaching what is good, so that they may encourage the young women to love their husbands, to love their children, to be sensible, pure, workers at home, being 
uh, kind, being subject to their own husbands, so that the word of God will not be dishonored. Also that the word of God would not be dishonored. Women interacting with women and instructing women in such a way so that God's word is seen to be an honorable word. Um, Let me just think about older women in the church here. And by the way, in our church, if you're an older woman, it means you're over 30. I'm not kidding. (laughs) Uh, But anyway, if you're an older woman in the church, think about this with me. If, If as an older woman, you're not shepherding your heart to worship God when your Bible's open, if as an older woman you're not concerned when your Bible's open that you want to express your love for Jesus Christ, your need for Jesus Christ, what do you have to say to any other woman? And the same is true for the men, obviously. Young ladies, if younger women, if you're not opening your Bible and you're not concerned to worship God when your Bible's open, you're not concerned to express your love and your need for Jesus Christ when your Bible's open, do you think you're going to listen to an older woman when she comes to you and wants to talk to you about something she sees in your life? Now, that's putting it negatively. Positively, what, what, what will happen if you are an older woman to your ministry to these younger women? What will happen if you are shepherding your heart to the word of God, to know the God of the word, and you, yourself, as an older woman, have been in the pattern of caring for your own household well for years, and then you step into the life of a young woman and you say, I'm one beggar trying to help another beggar find the bread, but let me tell you what my life has been like as I have shepherded my heart and as I try to take care of my household. Will you listen to me? I mean, what an impact you can make. If you look at those descriptions there in verses 3 to 5 of Titus 2, it's all about your household, which is discipline 2 of build and wellspring. So, my observation, uh, just watching, especially the the women, and it's true for the men as well, but when I watch the older women caring for the younger women in this church, I'm super encouraged. Ladies, we have a whole mentoring ministry that um, Chris Evans um, helps oversee with me and um, she administrates it. And if you have a desire to meet with an older woman, ask any older woman here in in Wellspring. If you want to be plugged in with somebody more specifically, husbands, if you you think that your wife or your daughter would benefit from that, um, please talk to me. Love to get them connected and we can tie that in with um, somebody else, okay? All right, that covers everything that I wanted to cover. So, and I was only three minutes late as opposed to taking 10 extra minutes on Thursday with the ladies. So, by the way, do you know that there on Thursdays there's, a, there's another group of about 25 women? 35? 35 women on Thursdays do Wellspring as well. There's, they have child care there for their, for their kiddos. So um, 35, and there's 25 of you. That's what, I can't add, 60, there's 40, I think there's about 100 men and women in Build and Wellspring this year. Something like that. So, praise God. Let me pray and then we'll dismiss. Ladies, you then are going to take some food with you probably and make your way down to the library. You can follow the ladies. Guys, we're just going to stay put, but we'll have a little five-minute break, okay? Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for... um, the power of the gospel in Jesus Christ. Thank you for the changed life that your spirit 
brings and continues to bring as we progress in our holiness, as we rely upon your strength, rely upon your grace, and as we obey your word. Lord, would you make us into a holy church, a church full of men and women who love your son and who desire to obey him. Lord, improve and build on our our ministry to one another in this church so that we care well for one another. Bless the efforts, Lord, that we're going to take this year and make this year in Wellspring and in Build. We pray that, God, if you do not come and superintend these, these efforts, Lord, it'll be a waste. So please come and meet with us and cause our time together to be fruitful so that your Son is glorified. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to do just um, a little bit more with you guys here and then give you about maybe about a half an hour. We finish at 9.15. Um, I want to give you um, about uh, maybe about a half an hour in your uh, small groups today. Um, but if you want to take a look at your notebook, first let me just kind of point out a couple of things to you there. The very first thing that you should have inside your notebook, and by the way, I've talked to some of you, but I want to make sure this all gets out. If you don't have your notebook with you, if you were in a prior year and you think you know where it is, um, and you really want one, but then you end up can't finding it, or it's a, you know it's all torn apart or whatever, uh, just let me know that. In fact, even before I g- you go today, let me know, and I'll write it down on the attendance sheet and make sure that we get one for you in the next two weeks. Some of you are missing like an insert for your name in the front. I've got that written down. But if you're missing anything, just let me know before you go today in your notebook, and I'll make sure that you have it for the next time we get together, okay? But as you look at your notebook on the front, you got obviously the cover. Take your notebook and actually turn it over on its back. On the back of it, of your notebook, you'll have all of the disciplines listed out, the six disciplines, um, so that you can kind of keep it in front of you so that you can remember what they are. Um, and it talks about what BUILD stands for. BUILD stands for Becoming United in Leadership Disciplines. The leadership disciplines are the six disciplines that we're talking about, these spiritual disciplines, these um, uh, issues of self-control in your life, of shepherding your heart, uh, watching over your household, stepping into ministry. I'm going to pursue a, a qualified life according to the deacon qualifications and the elder qualifications, etc. By the way, we know not every man will become an elder or will become a deacon, but you should aspire. By the way, all Christians uh, in other parts of the New Testament scriptures have those qualities that are in the elder qualification. You know that? I mean, all of us are supposed to be above reproach. Philippians 2 um, and, and, and whatnot. So, but we want you to just be aiming for that. I think as Lee Iacocca said years ago, and I'm dating myself by even mentioning his name, if you aim at nothing... You'll hit it every time. If you aim at a character-ignorant life, you'll hit a character-ignorant life. But if you aim for a life of character before God, you you might hit it, right? All right, so anyway, um, before we look at the guts inside, I remember what I wanted to do before we even did that. And I want to get everybody's name. Because there's some of you here brand new. You're brand new to the church, and... Guys, those of you who aren't brand new to the church, you've got a big responsibility to make new people feel welcome. And we've got a um, great range of, of age here in this room, <clears throat> um, from out of high school to retired and in that great season of life. We've got everything um, in terms of married, single, 
fathers, grandfathers, that kind of stuff. So would love to have you give your name where you're at and just so we can see. So let's do this. We'll start up front. And as you do, if you're up front, you kind of have to turn around so people can see your face so they don't get the back of your head. And when we get towards the back, those of you in the front, just keep turning around and we'll make sure we see them. So let's start over here with Tom. Start with you. Tom Blevins. Tom Blevins is going to lead us tomorrow in communion. No pressure. So if you want to stay home tomorrow, maybe it's a good Sunday. <laughs> when he gets up tomorrow, if you would jump out of your chair, you yeah! No, no. <laughs> Look, when, let me just let me give you a hint when Dre's in the audience. You keep one finger on wherever it is because he'll say something and you'll just be like, your whole world will turn around and you're like, oh, I lost my spot. I don't know what that happens for. It happens, but you just don't know what happens. <laughs> All right, we're moving on. We're, we're just going to take forever. Ben James. Ben James, very good. Bob Weiner. Jason. And I love this because dad and son together in here, this is awesome. And that's not the only pair we have that way in here. So. Mike Douglas. And now it's going too fast. So now also some of you guys are in the same small group together. So guys are in the same small group. You get a B and build as well. And, um, Russ is here now six days a week on some weeks because he's a teacher here as well. Teaching seven days a week. It's seven a week. It is. Wow, what a bummer for you. <laughs> Gets to live here. You should just like see if they can let you just rent out one of the rooms and you can actually just move in. Or not. Ryan. Ryan and Ryan, where are you going to school? ASU. Freshman, right? Yes. Very good. Uh, David Burton. David, you just moved up here from the Tucson area, right? Yes. Very good. How's, it, how's your school year going so far? Great. Is it? How's that? How is, that, how is that adjustment going? Very good. Good. How's that drive working out for you? You guys making it okay? Great. Drive to school with four of my sons, so they're stuck with me. That's good. That's good. Very good. Glad to have you here, David. Scott Emmerich. Scott is one of the elders. Gilbert Padilla. Good. Kurt. Kurt. Where do you, and you come from uh, where? Wisconsin. Wisconsin. Go Did, Badgers. Go Badgers. <laughs> be careful. Be careful in here. <laughs> you got to be able to stand your own in here with these guys. That's good. Um, when did you move here? Glad you're here, Kurt. Thanks for coming. Trevor. Emmanuel. Okay. Kevin, were you here at the very beginning of the church? Yes. So anybody else here at the very beginning? I mean, like it came over from, so Travis was and Eric was. So we have three guys here this morning from the very beginning. It's cool. Thanks for being in it. Uh, April of 01, what is that, 12 years plus as a church? Yeah. 
Brad. Brad Thomas. Very good. Okay. Now, Matt, your connection is, you, you guys are from Texas, yeah. and you guys know Smed and Janet. And their parents. And their parents. That's because you were at their church. Yeah, you didn't have a choice. You couldn't even look someplace else. Yeah, sorry. No, it's good. Glad you're here. Another father-son combination. Love it. Are there any other? I didn't skip any other ones. Okay. And Kenny, how do you explain your relationship to each other? Brother. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Very good. Travis is married to Kenny's sister, older sister. You only have you only have another sister for the single men. But you better be shepherding your heart and you better be shepherding your home. Don't even talk to her or else Kenny will work you over. He's watching. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. Yeah. The first thing to do is ask for Kenny's phone number, not hers. All right, now let's get back to your notebooks here. I, guys, I just encourage you to, to take time this year to get to know each other, be an encouragement to each other um, as you go through it. Inside your notebook, you'll see um, the, the schedule first. Um, you'll... Uh, we meet about every other Saturday, but don't think, don't lock yourself into thinking it's every other Saturday because it's not always. Sometimes there's um, three weeks in between, okay? Uh, so just make sure you put the dates in your phone or your calendar or whatever. Um, your, uh, your primary homework that you're going to have is to read through the Bible in a year. You've got um, a section towards the back of your, one of the tabs that will give uh, your reading plans. And for those of you who came in today who are using your notebook from years prior, there's a new one that's in there. That's the Discipleship Journal. Uh, I think that's what the navigators use. Um, And I've been using that for a few months now. Really like that one. Just want to give you another one to look at, another one to try. Um, There's several different plans you can use. Your primary homework and build is that, that you would be in the Bible every day. And best case scenario is that you would read through the Bible in a year. Um, Can I just see, I mean, don't, not to, to, to make you feel bad or anything, how many of you have read through the Bible in its totality? Excellent. That's good. Now, what we want you to do is, that needs to be a part of your life every day, um, all year, for the rest of your life. It's just to keep reading through your Bible and, and uh, to, to come up with some kind of a plan by which you do that. It may take you actually a couple years, to, I, I just said years, it may take you a couple years to figure out what's the best way for you to do that. You may have to, tr- you know, kind of try a uh, something like McShane's that's in four different places, and it's a chapter a day. And then you may do that for a while and realize that it drives you crazy because you, you, you feel like you lose continuity. And so then you'll try the chronological one, and you'll read just, you know, starting in Genesis, and you'll just go through the way that the books came about to us chronologically and historically. And, 
and you may find that that one's really hard because you get bogged down in Leviticus or someplace like that. Um, it, look, there's, there's no Bible reading plan that solves it all for you. What we're trying to, to keep you away from is reading your same five favorite books over and over and over and over and over and over. Um, not because they're bad, but because you need to know the Bible. Look, God revealed himself in Deuteronomy. Did you know that? He reveals something about himself there. If you're never in Deuteronomy, if you never read Ezekiel, if you're never in Habakkuk, you're going to miss what God reveals about himself in those places. He made you into a new creature that longs for him. Don't starve yourself from him in those sections of scripture, okay? So the point is, work your way through the Bible regularly. Um, You're also going to have homework that will be given to you like today. Uh, It'll always be on the colored sheet, like today it's green. And there will always be um, a front and a back homework page to do. Uh, Really what that homework is all about, it's designed to help you practice discipline one. um, And it gives you a chance to write down and actually put some things in writing on that homework that... As you hand it in to us, it reveals to us, oh, yeah, um, he's getting it. I see that. Um, And so it's really helpful for us for you to do that. Um, If you have any desire to go on from build and, like, be in H3 next year or or in another year to come or in one of the years to come, you need to do build well. That means your attendance needs to be faithful. It means that you need to read your Bible. And it means you need to have done your homework and you need to do it well. Okay? Okay. Um, this meets every other week. H3 meets every single week from September through May. Um, and there, there's more responsibility there, and, and you need to be faithful in the little things here as you move on to the faithfulness in the, in the greater things. So um, make sure that you do your homework each time. Uh, you're going to have discussion groups. You'll see a, a, a piece of paper in your notebook that has a little blue heading at the top. It, in the blue boxes are the uh, small group leaders. An elder is in each one of them, and uh, there is another leader who's a uh, co-leader there uh, taking responsibility for the, the, um, the discussion there. You will hand your homework into those people, into your leader, so you can locate your name. Um, I'm going to guess now that, Andy, your name's not on there, right? So I need to make sure that I get a couple of names in there. I'll talk with you before you go. And if anybody else is here and your name's not on that small group list, I need to know so we get you um, in a group, okay? Uh, But you're going to hand your homework into those guys there. And there will be about 45 minutes of um, small group time each week when we're together um, as we work together. Your next um, section, you'll probably see something like D1, D2, D3, and all those. Like when we um, today did the lesson on what Grace Bible Church is all about, you can take that and you put that in the D6 section. And so you just keep your notebook and it just kind of files away all of the different uh, lessons that we do on each of the six disciplines. Or even if you come across something else that you read, an article or uh, something, and you want to print it out and it's all about saying something about the heart or saying something about what it means to be a spiritual leader in your, in your household, I encourage you to take that and put it in your D2 section. Just kind of keep this as a file of where you're looking to, about what it means to uh, interact with the Word of God. What does it mean to, to be a, a godly man in my home or in the church? What does it mean to minister to people with the gospel? Just kind of let this be a filing system for you if you want. Um, so you should be able to look through each of those sections. In each of them, in D1, you'll see a list of the uses, um, kind of a categorized listing of heart, the use of the word heart in Scripture. 
That's just there for you as a resource. If you ever want to do a word study on heart, and there's already some categories listed for you, you can look at those at the end of Discipline 1. Discipline 2, the same thing on household relationships throughout the Bible. Um, Really, the lessons from Build in Discipline 1 and Discipline 2 and Discipline 3, they came from those lists. Um, our, our curriculum that we use for this is the Bible. We teach the Bible in it. We're not using some, some other you know, pre-made thing or something that we pre-made. This is, we're just teaching passages of the Bible to you and doing surveys of what's in the Bible so that you understand um, what it means to shepherd your heart, what it means to shepherd your home, what it means to step out into gospel ministry and so forth. Okay? Um, and then you've got a section towards the back where you've got all of your uh, Bible reading plans. You need to pick a Bible reading plan by October 1. Okay, by October 1. That's just a good place to start. You, you can start today if you want. If you want to pick one today and start, we're not going to give you any demerits for starting before October 1. At the latest, start by October 1. Does that make sense? What will each Saturday look like? What can you expect? It will not be like this, where there are women in here first. The women are going to be in um, the library to begin with. There will not be pretty-looking tables because we don't know how to do that, and we don't care. We just want coffee, some juice, and some food, and there will be some of that each time, so you can come in. I encourage you to come a few minutes early, uh, before 6.45, come in, get something to eat and drink, talk to each other, get, get yourself settled, get where you're at, make sure you got your handouts on a table over by the door. There will always be a, ta- uh, a table there where you pick out your uh, uh, worksheet that is for the day and so forth. Um, come in. The first thing we'll do is we'll review the disciplines. I'll say turn your notebook over to the back. And you'll turn your notebook over and we'll talk through those six disciplines. We'll just run them through your brain. We want you to have those ingrained. We want you to, to wake up in the middle of the night and be able to at any point just utter discipline three as the ministry. And I know what that means. And we'll show up at your house and wake you up and review the disciplines with you. Uh, after we review the disciplines, we'll then go into our discussion groups. Probably we'll have two groups stay here. Uh, maybe three, and we'll make one or two of them go just into the hall here. We'll take some chairs in there and sit. 45 minutes, we'll talk through the homework that you did from the week before. So your green sheet may be the subject of conversation in your discussion group next time on Saturday uh, in two weeks. Um, really fight to not do your homework Friday night before, what is it? It's going to be September, today's the 14th. Don't do your homework Friday, September 27th. Take that green sheet and keep it out in front of you somewhere so that you can, if you need to, do a little bit of it here and there. Um, maybe commit to doing it tomorrow, that it's, it's what you're, you're going to look at tomorrow so that you can then take two weeks and kind of look back through it again um, rather than doing it at the last minute. And then we finish our time each uh, Saturday with teaching and instruction like I did at the beginning today. Um, and we'll spend at least an hour uh, looking at God's Word together. And you'll see, you're, you know what we're going to cover next. It's on your schedule. Um, at the beginning, inside your notebook, I tell you what we're going to cover. We're going to start with Discipline 1, and we're going to talk about what the heart is. We're going to talk about gospel implications for the heart um, starting next week. Um, I need to let you know about, um, there's a men's conference coming up. If you look at your schedule on the inside of your notebook, on October 26th, it says there's no build, but there's a men's conference. We have been doing a, um, a, a men's conference for the last, has it been just one year we did it, or has it been two already? I can't remember. Is it just one? 
That's right. We did the retreat with Northwest two years ago. We did the conference last year over at their place. Northwest Community Church is a, is a solid church out on the west side. We love those guys over there. Um, Scott Christmas is the preaching pastor there. Um, and they're doing another men's conference. Their, their whole focus is act like men uh, for, the, for the conference. It's a Friday night, uh, Friday, October 25th, all, most of the day on Saturday the 26th. And there's going to be four different sessions, one on um, men need to act like a leader, uh, act like a defender, act like a learner, and act like a brother. And there are four different pastors in the valley that are uh, putting that together. And I'm sorry, three pastors in the valley and a guy from Louisville, Dan Dumas. He used to be at um, Grace Community Church in L.A. at John MacArthur's church. Clay Miller, who is at Santan Bible uh, in the East Valley, will be preaching on one of them. Scott Christmas will take one of them, and then I have the one on uh, being a brother. So um, I would love it for you guys. If you, um, there should be something, I think, in your bulletin tomorrow. Yeah, on it, um, that you can get the information on it. I would love for you guys to, um, we're not having build that Saturday, obviously. I would love for you to, to if you can, go to the conference. The cost of the conference is $35 if you do it, register by September 30th. If you register after September 30th, it goes to $45. So it's not a huge budget breaker for you, but I would love for you guys to, to attend that, be a part of that. I'd love for us to take as many men from our church as possible. Um, if you have any need for some scholarship assistance in that, will you just let me know? I would not want that to keep you from participating in it. Okay?